Alright, so today we're gonna look at one story um, in the book of Mark. I know when I come up to share a message, I usually pull from like 10 different verses and all that stuff because that's what I like to do. I like to put different parts of the Bible together and I thought maybe, you know, just for today, I'm just gonna focus on one story and just keep it kind of like, like more simple. Um, so I'm not someone who is good with coming up with titles and I was like, what? Kobe was asking me on Thursday, like, what's my title? I'm like, I don't know what's my title. Um, and I changed it a few times, you know, I thought, okay, maybe you talk about like touching Jesus since the story is about a woman touching the garments of Jesus. But really when I thought about it, I think what I wanted to share this morning is about the idea of being desperate for Jesus. Um, and hopefully that's something that would bless some of you for all of us today. So this is a very simple story. Um, it's only about 10 verses. It's a story about a woman who was in a desperate situation and comes up to Jesus, touches his garment, you know, doesn't even like touch Jesus physically. Jesus doesn't even like pray over her, physic uh, pray over her. and she gets healing. Um, and then Jesus, you know, forgives, forgives her and tells her to go, go in peace. Um, some of you might be familiar with this story. You might have heard this story like multiple times. And there are, you know, a lot of things that we could talk about this story and also like the stories that come before and after this story. So today we really need to, I, I really need to like just pick certain parts to emphasize what we want to talk about. Otherwise you could go on forever and forever. But just to, just to give you a sense of like how big, um, how complex or like how rich the Bible is, this story is really a story within a story. Um, when this episode happens in the book of Mark, what Jesus is doing is actually he's on his way somewhere else. Because right before this story, um, Jairus, who is one of the leaders of the synagogue, begged Jesus to heal his daughter. So Jairus and Jesus and his disciples and whoever is following them, they're actually on their way to Jairus's house um, to heal Jairus's daughter. And that's when the woman with the issue of blood comes up to Jesus for healing. And there are so many things you could say, you know, like um, by just by looking at the context of each Bible passage, you know, if you would just contrast, for example, Jairus and the woman, you, you can see very clearly there are so many differences in terms of like gender, social status, um, what they need, things like that, all right? But we're not going to go into there. I just wanted to give you a sense of, you know, how rich the Bible is. It's, um, there are a lot of people, scholars, who study the Bible as literature, and that really, if you ever had a chance to do that, that really opens up your mind to how rich the Bible really is. So one thing I, I would say that is that um, a lot of the Bible is actually made up of stories. Um, you know, sometimes we come to church or we hear about Christianity from someone else and we think that the Bible is all about rules, like do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that, and then you, you are a good Christian. But actually, a large part of the Bible is told to us in stories. And the thing about stories is stories invite us to be part of that story to kind of try and understand, to empathize with the characters in that story, um, to respond to the story in various ways, whether emotionally, logically. It, it's kind of like us going, to, um, going home to watch like a drama series, a TV series. And so, those of us who watch a lot of like drama and TV and, and go to the movies, you know that one of the things that maybe keeps getting us back to watch like um, this series is how emotional it could be. Like it evokes certain emotions and responses uh, within us to these stories. And the Bible is the same way. When we hear these stories, um, the author has certain responses he wants us to uh, have. There are certain emotions or reactions that he's expecting out of us. But there are also other things that we could respond to these stories, all right? I'm honestly not really like a good storyteller. That's why I, I, I don't really like to tell stories, especially when I, I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I would always like 
you know, Lara, why don't you tell the story? Because sometimes I feel like I, I talk in such like a, like a monotone that I'm like, <laughs> there's absolutely no emotion in the story, you know. Um, so storytelling is not really my, my strength, but hopefully as we look at this story, um, you would put yourself in that situation, whether you relate to Jesus, whether you relate to the woman with the issue of blood, or whether you see yourself as a bystander, think about what does this story um, bring up in you in terms of like emotion or any kind of responses. And let's see what God speaks to you this morning. All right. So let's talk a bit about the woman. Um, the woman is in a state of ritual impurity. So if you, if you study like the Old Testament laws and all, all that stuff, um, which is in the Bible, in the, in the first five books of the Bible. Um, the woman is ritually unclean because of a discharge of blood. In Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 to 27, it talks about this. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of a menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of impurity, all the days of the discharge, she, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits on shall be unclean. Um, and whoever touches this thing shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So essentially, um, this woman is ritually unclean, and anything and everyone that... Uh, not sure why it went so first, but anything and everyone that she comes into contact with also becomes unclean. And as you can see, this makes it practically impossible for her and for everyone else around her to lead a normal life in community. Because um, whenever someone becomes unclean in Israelite society, you would have to take certain steps to make yourself clean and you don't immediately become clean. You kind of have to wait for like a period of time until the end of the day before you're, you're clean again. Um, and if you're unclean and you go out and you interact with someone else, that person also becomes unclean. And you can see how like difficult life could be, right? Because like whoever is living with her would find it difficult to go out to work because he or she goes out to work and meet someone else, that other person becomes unclean. And then the whole community becomes unclean and would have to perform those rituals to become clean again. Um, one thing I would like to say is that um, if you're not super familiar with Israelite laws, being unclean is not the same as sinning. So if you're unclean, it's not that you're, sin it's not that you're sinful, you're, it's not that you did something wrong. Um, the, the laws that God gives in the Old Testament are a lot more complex and richer than sometimes we imagine. It's not that because you're unclean, that means you did something wrong and God is punishing you. Um, there are certain reasons behind like being unclean, what God is trying to teach us. That's a whole different message altogether. It's, uh, it's going to be a, like a bigger, bigger topic that we can talk about next time. Um, also note that in Leviticus chapter 15, it not only talks about women, it also talks about men. So it's not just like a you know, woman's issue, like every month they have their period and they're unclean. But even men would also become unclean after if they have any kind of like bodily discharge. And for example, in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 18, it talks about being unclean after uh, a man and woman have sexual intercourse. So clearly sex is not a sin, but you become unclean after having sex. Um, all right, so let's, let's sit with this for a moment. So if you can imagine yourself or imagine someone that you know being this woman with the issue of blood, you can imagine how difficult life could be for her. And even her coming out to try to meet Jesus is, um, is going against social norms because if she was unclean, she's supposed to kind of like separate herself from the rest of the community, take steps to become clean again before she goes out to interact with other people. And in this story, Jesus is traveling with a crowd. There are people that are following him. So imagine if these people knew what this woman was uh, in, in a state of ritual impurity, they would then also realize that, hey, now I've become unclean because I've come into contact with this woman. So whatever she was doing was definitely not something that was acceptable. 
Um, if someone found her out, they would be really upset, frustrated, angry, all sorts of emotions against her. Um, and she was kind of like really taking a risk. But it was a risk that she was willing to take because essentially she was in a desperate situation. Um, this story is told in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark, I believe, has the most detail, which is why I picked this passage from Mark. And it tells us quite clearly the circumstances of this woman. Um, she has been ill for a really long time, 12 years. That's, you know, that's hard to imagine what 12 years is like. Like if you can think back 12 years from now, what were you doing? Um, and everything that's gone by, you know, 12 years is a long time. Medical treatment did not help. She saw many doctors. Um, none of them were able to cure her. And in seeking like medical treatment, she basically spent everything that she had. And not only did she not get better, the, the passage in Mark tells her that she became worse after years of illness and treatment. Um, now, it's easy to think, you know, like, hey, this is something that happened more than 2,000 years ago. Um, it's at a time where medical knowledge and treatment was not as advanced as it is now. But... If we just look at these four points um, and we look at the world around us, we'll find that actually many people today, even in very developed countries, are in the same situation. There are people who find themselves severely ill for a very long time. Um, the medical treatment that we have today and technology doesn't help. They have spent everything they have um, and not only that, they, their condition becomes worse after those years of um, illness and treatment. There's this old saying that sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. Um, you know, sometimes even today, the, the treatment for certain diseases takes a toll on the patient and their caregivers, uh, which makes it even harder to to like lead a normal life. For example, the side effects of medication, frequent hospitalizations. Um, we can think about, for example, like cancer. It's not just like, not just as simple even today as like just going to the hospital to get treatment because you would be making like frequent trips in at our hospital to get your chemotherapy sessions. You might be in there and then out. And then uh, between treatment sessions, you might find yourself in an emergency you fell ill suddenly and then you're in a critical situation and you have to go back to the hospital again. And for people who are caring for these patients, it's also difficult because um, how would you keep a stable job if the person that you're caring for needs to go to the hospital so frequently and has so many like urgent crises that you cannot predict? Um, even medication is still an issue today. Because one, there are many side effects of medication. Let's say we talk about mental health. Uh, mental health is one area where it seems as though we've made a lot of improvements, but there's still a lot we don't know about the mind and the brain and, and how it works. And medication doesn't really solve the problem completely. Um, some, one of the side effects of medica uh, psychiatric medication is, for example, like sleepiness. Uh, I have had family members, friends, clients as a social worker who, who are on medication or who are on medication. And, you know, sleepiness is such a serious side effect because if you're going to take this medication to be emotionally and, and mentally stable, uh, to, to use uh, imperfect language, um, but you're going to be sleepy, how are you going to go to school? How are you going to go to work? Because you will always be in that state where you cannot focus. So, there's so much that's still lacking today that this story is not that foreign. It's not a story that's like 2,000 years ago. It's a story that's repeated today over and over again in, I believe, every single society that we can find um, across, across the world. Um, when I was walking here, I was also thinking about this other point, you know, like... Um, if, if for those of you who, who 
you know, I used to taking the subway in, in New York City. I, I, I mean, I live pretty far in Queens, so I take the subway very often and spend a lot of time on the subway. If you're out on the streets and all that stuff, uh, you'll realize that this situation is not uncommon. We, we see people on the streets, on the subways, who um, maybe have some kind of illness that we're not aware of, you know, maybe they have some kind of like skin condition, or we even see like people who have lost a limb or, or things like that. And that makes it hard for them to lead a normal life in society. And um, I think one thing maybe that we can think about this morning is if we were one of, that, one of the people in the crowd and we see a woman with this issue coming near us, how would we respond? And I think it's, it's normal when, you know, when we're just out about in our, our daily lives to see someone coming who is not well-dressed, who looks like he or she has not taken a bath in a while, uh, to, to try to like just politely get out of the way and let the person pass by. Um, and I don't really have an answer to that. But that's something for us to think about as Christians and as a church. What's our response to people in society who have needs? Um, clearly, this woman is breaking social norms. And when we see someone who has a need and is breaking social norms, how should we respond? So let's move on quickly to the next character, Jesus. Now, this story um, to me is pretty interesting. Because if you read the story, you get a sense that this is one of those stories where Jesus doesn't seem to be the main character, right? It's, it's, I mean, we, we, we like to like make Jesus like, you know, the main character and everything because he's God, yeah, he needs to be a main character. But in this story, there is some sense that he's not quite the focus of the story. For example, number one, he is not the subject who starts the story. If you look at the verse again, um, it says, it's in verse 25, the story starts with saying, and there was a woman who had, had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So the story starts not with Jesus being the main character, but the woman with the issue of blood being the main character. And in this story, it is not Jesus who initiates the interaction and offers healing. He's not the person that goes up, sees someone in need, and, and heals the person or provides for the person. It is this woman that comes up to Jesus um, and not even to ask him, but to get healing from him. So I, I found that actually pretty interesting. There's something here um, that we need to learn from the woman. The, I guess one of the key, key events in this very short story is when Jesus says, who touched my garments? Now that's, that's kind of like a very strange question. Like um, if we were there with Jesus and Jesus asked, asked us who touched our garments, I'm sure all of us would react in the same way as um, the disciples did because it's like, you know, hey Jesus, come on, please Jesus. <laughs> You're in a crowd, everyone's walking around you. Someone's going to brush past you even if they don't bump into you. Are you seriously asking who, who touched your garments? Um, but I think what this story highlights is that there were many people who came into physical contact with Jesus that day, but only the woman received something from Jesus. And maybe one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves today is, um, are we one of the people in the crowd, or are we the woman with the issue of blood? Do we pass by Jesus without actually encountering him. And that can help happen so very often, right? We could come to church, we could go to um, like a cell group or, or a life group. Uh, we could meet up with other fellow believers to fellowship. And so often we could read the word or worship, but yet not really have the encounter with, with Jesus. And that's something that um, I would like us to, to think about today. So coming back to this um, woman with the issue of blood, I mean, the story is pretty clear. She touches the garments of Jesus. Jesus doesn't even pray over her. 
she just touches his garments and she's instantly healed. Um, you know, a while back we talked about we talked about faith. We had a whole series about faith. I think we spent like at least like three or four months on it. It was really long, <laughs> honestly. Um, but this woman is an example of faith because in verse in verse um, just give me one second in verse 29 it says and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of a disease you know she has this, she had this conviction she had this confidence that something miraculous had already happened and that she was healed it wasn't like Oh, uh, I seem to be better now, but am I completely healed? She, she knew instantly that something had taken place, something had changed, and she was forever healed. Um, it's not like she had to go to a doctor to like, confirm again if she's healed. She kind of just knew. And I think this is an example of faith. Faith is not guessing. Faith is not um, a speculation. Like I've said this before, faith is a supernatural kind of knowledge that when God does something, you know that he, he has done it. All right, or he's going to do it. Um, this story in some circles of the church, uh, those of you who are familiar with like charismatic and Pentecostal circles, um, that's kind of like a background that I, that, I, um, that I started church in. One of the phrases that people like to use when it comes to this story is the idea of placing a demand on the anointing of God. Um, when I first heard someone use this phrase, I was also like really like thinking about it, like placing a demand. Can we demand something from God? You know, that sounds very arrogant. That sounds very like, wow, like God owes me something kind of thing, you know? Um, but it really talks about a desire to see God move, whether in our own lives or in someone else's lives or in the community around us. I think this story is a reminder for us to, to, to take seriously the miraculous and supernatural ways of God. Um, and oftentimes, okay, not oftentimes, but one of the ways or one of the ministries that would, would take this seriously would be the ministry of, of intercession. Um, those of you who who, who go to the Wednesday morning prayer meetings. Um, honestly, let me just be honest, I'm not a morning person. That's why I don't, go, I don't force myself to go to those, those meetings because I'm like, if I get up, I'm just going to be really upset and it's going to spoil the rest of my day. <laughs> so I'm not going to even try. But that's what intercession is about. Intercession is interceding for someone or something in front of God. And it's really asking God to, hey, God, do something and turn things around. All right, and in order for that to happen, we need to have, um, we need to acknowledge, we need to recognize, and we need to be so aware that God is not just a God, but He's someone who is miraculous. He's someone who's supernatural. He can do things that are way above and beyond what we can ask or imagine, um, and that's what prayer really is about. It's asking God to do something that we cannot do. Oh, by the way, um, if you don't already realize there is a, there's been a technical issue for the past few weeks, um, the screen just keeps splashing in and out. It's not something we can solve we, because we don't own this place. There's only so much equipment that we can meddle with and um, switch out. Um, but that's a first world problem, all right? So just bear with it. You know, there, there, we could find ourselves in many situations where we don't even have a laptop. Um, okay, coming back to the story. So all this to say, all this for, is for us to really think about four questions today, and I have four questions for you today. The first is, when we think about the woman with the discharge of blood, we can think for ourselves, have we been in a desperate situation? Have we been in such a situation that we are desperate for Jesus? Um, I would say that the average person or the average churchgoer might not actually be in a desperate situation. We might find ourselves in difficult situations where, for example, we are looking for a job, we're wondering about visas, especially as an international church, um, we're wondering how to pay our rent or how to like, um, have more savings or have more investments. That's a difficult situation, but that wouldn't be like a desperate situation. 
Okay, we're we're not kind of at the end of our road, kind of thing. But desperation might be one of the fastest ways for us to take God seriously. Um, there, there are stories of, of missionaries, you know, who go out from, um, from more developed countries and they go out to places that are less de- developed, that are maybe like very rural in the mountains or in villages. And they find that these places have um, less developed infrastructure, you know, maybe there's no internet, maybe there's no um, technology there in terms of like the, the things that we usually see like laptops and things like that or even like instruments um, and places where resources especially medical resources might be less accessible and sometimes even they might find themselves in, in situations where the needs are greater than the supplies for example if there are many hungry people in that city or that town or that village but there's only so much food that the missionary or the ministry has, what are they going to do? And those are situations where we realize that what we really need is the power of God. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that I've ever been like really in like a desperate situation, but I've definitely gone out to, to you know, like other countries, villages, where I realized the ways that I normally operate don't operate there. I've gone out to places where um, there was a ministry that invited me to you know, go teach English for, for a few weeks because they're, they're, the, the, the English teacher um, that used to be there had to, had to go back to her country. So, so they invited me to go and teach for a few weeks and I said, okay. So I brought my laptop and you know, like me being me, I like to have all my PowerPoint presentations, you know, like everything prepared and, and, and working well. And I get there and I realize that, oh my gosh, it doesn't connect to the projector. Um, the power doesn't seem to be working really well. And there I am like struggling. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to teach? You know, it's like kind of like suddenly realizing that all these things that we used to depend on in our everyday life um, no longer work. And who else can we depend on but the supernatural grace of God to, to be able to... Um, for us to minister in, in those places. So desperation could really be one of the fastest ways for us to take God seriously. Um, I was trying to think of like a personal example of desperation. I honestly don't think I have one that, that would be like at the level of the woman with the issue of blood. Um, but blood always reminds me of um, this this, I don't know what, what you call it, I didn't get diagnosed or anything, some kind of like psychological condition. But whenever I have to do like an injection or whenever someone starts to talk to me about like blood and like injections and like, like yeah, anything related to that and goes into like very great detail, I start to feel really like faint. <laughs> yeah, so I remember, I remember one time when my dad was hospitalized and he was um, really ill and I went to visit him. So. He was like telling us about like what the doctor was doing, what the nurse was doing, and then he was like talking about the injections and all that stuff. And as he was just talking about that, I was starting to like feel like really faint. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna back out. So I so Lara was in the room, so I quietly stepped out and, and tried to go outside to have a walk to have a walk. It didn't help. I sat outside, it didn't help. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm fainting. So I went to the nurse at the nurse station. I was like, hey guys, <laughs> help me. <laughs> You know, and um, just a few months ago, something similar happened. I was, I was sleeping, I was having this dream, you know, and, and in my dream, I don't remember the dream exactly, but I was like, okay, you know, some, again, something to do with blood and injection. And I woke up in like a half a week, half, half sleepy state. Um, and then it's like, oh, okay, that was just a dream. But as I was thinking that, and I was suddenly like, thinking about blood and injection and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel pain again. <laughs> so I was like, what am I going to do? So obviously having had so many of these episodes in my life, I had learned by that time that I just needed to be like, you know, like I need to be upside down to, so that the blood could flow to my head. So, so that night I woke up and I was like trying to move Lara out of the way because she was sleeping beside me. So I was like trying to like lean myself upside down from the bed and she was like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> yeah, but 
I think those are moments where I'm like, you know, um, it's uncontrollable. I I can't help it, um, and it's a situation where, if this was like a heart attack, I could literally die or be in a very severely um, crippled condition, and those moments really remind me that um, my hands, my my life is really in the hands of God. But once I'm out of that desperate situation, then you know I forget all about this, <laughs> and I go about my life in and in. In, like in my everyday life, and I forget about how desperate I need to be for God. Now, not all of us find ourselves in desperate situations, but we can also ask ourselves the second question: How hungry and thirsty are we for Jesus? Um, you know, it's interesting that Jesus says in Mark chapter two, verse seventeen, uh, when Jesus heard it, he said to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So really, if we think that we have everything together, um, there is nothing that we need, then that makes it hard to recognize our need for Jesus. And in Luke chapter eighteen, verse twenty-four, twenty-five, Jesus says as well, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for I. I think I have a image here. Yes, <laughs> I didn't draw that. I, I picked it out. I couldn't find the source, so um, didn't didn't put a source there. But um, verse twenty-five in chapter eighteen of Luke says, "For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God." Now Jesus definitely didn't have didn't have anything against rich people, but he's stating something that um, is. Very logical when you think about it. You know, if we are rich and we are wealthy,、um, there is something about that security of wealth and having everything that we need and being able to do everything that we want to do in this world that makes it hard for us to recognize how much we need Jesus. But again, Jesus doesn't have anything against rich people. There are many rich people in the kingdom of God. Who serve Jesus、um, financially and 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 with their time and energy, but it really does call us to reflect、um, how hungry and thirsty are we for for Jesus.、Um, when I first when I first started going to church, this is like maybe like more than ten years ago already. When I was in in middle school. Um, I decided one no in high school I I got saved in middle school but I only started going to church in high school, and one day I just felt that God was calling me to church so I started attending church, and the people、um, the the youth there were very welcoming they they welcomed me invited me to dinner and then to hang out and stuff like that,、um, they were they were great friends、um, and one of the things that they they got me to do like every every week on the Saturday. Because we have youth service on Saturday and the main service on Sunday,、um, was to go out to play、um, games, and and those were the times where like the internet cafes was were popular. Okay, <laughs> so we went out to the internet cafe and we would play and play and play and play and some and most most nights we would play until like like midnight or one a.m. or two a.m. and then take like a bus or or like a taxi home. And then find ourselves on Sunday morning really tired and unable to wake up, and to to go to church or go to church on time and yet、um, feel like you know I'm falling asleep during during the service. So at some point in time, I I, I reflected on it and I, I realized that hey you know this is not working. This is not working. If I if I join a church to seek God to to know Jesus,、um, then I need to focus on that. Then I need to make some decisions in life, and and one of the decisions that I made at the time was kind of like to give up really、um, gaming late night,、um, and I had to do this like multiple times in my life because like there were always new games coming out and new friends telling me, hey, would you like to play? <laughs>、um, but yeah, that 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 was a time where you know、um, as a new Christian, I found myself so hungry and thirsty for God to to know who Jesus is that I I was. I was able and willing to to make those kind of sacrifices so that I could be with with Jesus.、Um, and sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where, 
you know, how hungry and thirsty are we for God? Are we able to give up what we need to give up in order to pursue God? Um, so James 4, chapter 4, verse 8, I don't think, do I have it here? Yes, I do. says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I feel like that's kind of, this verse um, describes really the story that we looked at today, the woman with the issue of blood. Um, there, there, I think sometimes we like to think that um, God is someone who's so loving and, and he gave up his son, he sacrificed his only child to, to save us. And there's always this image that God is always reaching out for us, you know, to take care of us, to love us, to care for us. Um, but this story, I think, turns the interaction around and reminds us that sometimes we need to draw close to God before God draws close to us. Because it's a two-way relationship. It cannot always be God giving and giving and giving um, and us just receiving and receiving and receiving. But in this relationship, God wants us to reach out to Him as well. Just like in any other human relationship, you know, whether it's friends, whether it's um, your partner or your spouse or your, or your child, it's always two ways. That's how a relationship works. It, 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 you're probably going to give up a friend where, you know, you're always trying to reach out to that friend and trying to hang out, and yet the person doesn't reciprocate, doesn't, doesn't initiate any conversation. That's probably a friend that's not going to last really long. All right. Um, now, at this point, we could maybe ask ourselves, what if we don't have that hunger and thirst for God? Then the solution is still this. It's, it's kind of paradoxical, but if we find ourselves not having that desire for God anymore, or not really understanding what does it mean to be, hung to be hungry and thirsty for God, then we need to draw close to God and ask Him to give us that desire once again. Um, because it's really, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, it says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So sometimes there are obstacles in our lives that, that hinder us, that, that stop us from pursuing God in that hungry and thirsty manner. And only God can re remove that barrier or that veil that stands between our, uh, us and Him. Um, obviously, you know, like if we, are, if we are in community, it makes things easier for us. That's why community is so important. I remember when I was in, in Singapore, um, that, was a, that was a really different time from, from, from now. And I think Lara can, can understand because, because those, when we were in Singapore and before we had Lois, we, me, Lara, and, and the group of friends that we had, we were basically in church at least three, times of, uh, three days a week. We would go Friday to a cell group and then Saturday to like an, a service or we would have um, some kind of like, we needed to do some kind of preparation. Lara would have like a rehearsal for, for, for worship on Sunday. Um, and, and the rehearsal would be like, I don't know, like I don't know, an hour, two hours, I don't remember. Yeah, but definitely way longer than just, you know, coming on Sunday and like rehearsing for like three minutes or something. Um, and then we would go on Sunday and we would, we would be in church the whole morning. I, I remember going like, uh, 8.30 and then being with the children for two hours and then after two hours I go to the, to the next service and that's when I would uh, worship and I would uh, listen to the sermon for another two hours so we were basically in church like the whole morning um, and in a way it, it really helped because, because there was so much time spent with God and with the community of God that it really keeps me just keep moving and moving and moving and moving um, because there was always a need to know God. I mean, you cannot possibly teach a Bible study in cell group if you're not prepared, and you cannot possibly teach a Bible study to the children if you're not prepared. So there was always something to do, and um, maybe we don't always find ourselves in those circumstances, but then we need to think, of, think about what other ways um, would help us to draw close to God, especially those of us who are busy with work, with children, with, with school, 
what are some of the ways that would keep us running after God. So there, there are also other various reasons why we might want Jesus. We talked about being desperate. We talked about being hungry and, and thirsty. Um, and sometimes, you know, just being able to recognize the sacrifice and love of Jesus for us draws us close to God. Um, there are other reasons as well. There are many reasons that we can think about. And I'm just going to share um, the one that stands out to me more. And that is recognizing that we live in a broken world. Maybe we find ourselves today in, in a situation where we're lacking nothing. You know, we don't have a desperate need. We don't, uh, we don't need anything from anyone or from God in particular. But we live in a broken world. And if you ever took uh, economics class, you would learn that one of, the, one of the first things that they teach you about is about scarcity. Um, that this is one of the basic assumption and problem that economics tries to address. Uh, basically, this is this idea that there are limited resources in this world and unlimited wants in this world. And because of that, resources are allocated through supply and demand and pricing. All right? So it's not just the Bible that tells us this world is fundamentally flawed. Um, even non-Christian people who study economics recognize that there is something wrong with this world. Um, there's a lot of needs, but very limited resources. And what this means essentially is that there will always be people who fall behind and are left out in society. Um, this is a big complex topic. I honestly don't have all the answers. Uh, it really requires the church also to think more deeply what is our relationship with the broader society, what is our relationship with the economy, with uh, how we operate in the broader society. Because just think about how many things we own today. For example, like phones, you know, our clothing, our laptops. Um, it is hard to realize that a lot of these things that we have and we enjoy is run on cheap labor. Maybe not in the United States, but somewhere else in the world. And how do we wrestle with that? that the things that we can enjoy today is unfortunately built on someone having less than what we have. So it's a reminder that even if we find ourselves not needing anything, there is someone out there who needs something. And the Bible reminds us that this world is fundamentally flawed because of sin and that there is no amount of technology knowledge progress in society that would be able to ensure that everyone has what they need and what they want. And that is why we need Jesus, because there are people who need provision, there are people who need healing, and there are people who need hope out there in the world. And I think that's one of the reasons why we need Jesus so much, even, not, even if it's not for ourselves, but for, for, someone, for someone out there. And the Bible... Um, I'm going to bring it close to, with this idea of having a sense of immediacy and, and urgency. Um, you would, if you read different parts of the Bible, this idea that there is an immediate and urgent coming of Jesus, the coming kingdom of heaven, um, it's repeated across different books of the Bible. For example, in Matthew, in several verses, it says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means, you know, like you literally could touch it right now. You literally could grab hold of it right now. All right. Um, and in 2 Corinthians verse 14, 17, Paul says, refers to affliction, which is suffering, as this light momentary affliction. That's sometimes difficult to understand, right? When we're going through a time of suffering, you're like, wow, when is this suffering going to end? Why is this taking so long? And yet Paul is able to refer to it as momentary, meaning like it, it's just going to pass real quickly. And one of the interesting things, um, if you do like a more liter literary study of the Bible, is that you realize that in Mark, the, the word immediately is actually used 34 times. And Mark is the shortest gospel among the four. So it's only a 16 chapters and it uses the word immediately 34 times. That's kind of like average of twice every chapter. 
Um, and no other book in the Bible uses the word immediately as much as Mark does. Um, so if you read Mark uh, closely, you, you will get this sense as though like things are moving really quickly. It's like, it's like if you go to a, a Broadway show and you're watching Broadway and things are moving so fast, it's like one scene's coming out and then the, the, the actors and actresses, they, they don't appear for that long, maybe like a couple of seconds and then next, there's the next scene. And then next, the next scene. Um, and if you read Mark, you realize that a lot of the episodes, a lot of the things that happen are written in very brief sentences compared to the other Gospels. Okay, with the exception of certain stories, for example, the one that we covered today, you would see that many episodes are really short and really brief, as though like things are happening so quickly. Right? And that's kind of the sense of immediacy and urgency that the disciples of Jesus, that the early church, church had. There, there, there was such a strong presence and closeness with God that they had this sense that, you know, God is going to come back soon, that the kingdom of heaven is going to be here soon. But of course, we know looking back now that after 2000 years, Jesus still hasn't come back. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard to make sense of it. But I think what it reminds us is that being close to God should give us that sense of there is something urgent today. There is something urgent about the mission of the church. There is something urgent about the good news. So we could translate this to maybe four questions. One, are we desperate for Jesus? And if we're not desperate for Jesus, that's fine because we're, not everyone needs to be a desperate situation. But if we're not desperate, then how hungry and thirsty are we for Jesus? Are we longing for the coming of Jesus again? Um, are we eager for people to hear the good news and to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Um, for those of us who have been in church long enough, there is always this danger and tendency to kind of like fall into this um, sense of comfort and feeling like everything is in order and we're just like cruising along in life. But the Bible reminds us that that is not our goal. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to just be in stability, even though that's important. But there is something urgent about the good news. That, that the mission of the church is to share the good news and we must never lose this focus. There is, there is always this urgency to reach out to a lost and dying world, to, to offer them the hope of the gospel, to offer them the hope of Jesus. You know, so it's, it's all great. It's, it's not wrong to you know, be able to enjoy life because God created life for us to enjoy it and created life for us to have it abundantly. Um, but the Bible reminds us of something that is more important, that the good news needs to be shared, the good news needs to be preached, um, and we need to get people uh, to, to hear the good news and to decide if they want to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. And again, when we look back 2,000 years, it's hard to believe that, right? Because like 2000, for 2,000 years, the church has always been saying, Jesus is coming back soon. And yet 2,000 years later, we find Jesus still not back. How do we make sense of that? Um, I think it is only when we are close to God. It is only when we know the heart of Jesus, that's when we realize the urgency and the immediacy of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And when we are distant from God, we fall into this sense that, you know, it's not as important, it's not as urgent, it's like, it's okay, I, I could wait till next year to do something. It's okay, I could wait five years later or 10 years later. Um, but that's not what the gospel is about. Um, and we don't want to, as a church, we don't want to look back three or five years from now and, and realize that we have been complacent, we have been sitting down and not doing anything. But we want to be able to look back and say that we have been pursuing Jesus and we have been pursuing the kingdom of God. Um, yeah, the other day I was, so Lara and I, we went on a short vacation this week and the other day I was, I was sleeping and then dreaming 
And then I was suddenly filled with this sense, you know, like, wow, Lois is three years old now, but she's not going to stay three years old. It's, it's, at some point, it's going to be, time is just going to fly by, and she's not going to be at this age where she behaves and acts in the same way as she does at three years old. And how important it is for, for me to just enjoy this stage of her growth, because she's not always going to be at this, at this um, age. And that's the same thing, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, what's going to happen in the, in the next years of this church, but we always need to bear that sense of urgency for the gospel. We always need to cultivate and keep going that desire for Jesus in whatever way that we can. Um, yeah, so I'm going to end my message really with, with these four questions for, for us today. Um, and, you know, I think this message also speaks to me really, what am I doing to, to keep that fire burning, right? And for each of us, that might look different. Um, God might be calling us to do different things. And hopefully we will keep our hearts open to what God is saying to each of us and to us as a church. So let's, let's close in prayer right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross and reaching out to us that we can love because you first love us, Lord. So Lord, this morning where you um, rekindle in us that fire and the desire for you, Lord, would you put in us a hunger and thirst for you and for the kingdom of God? That Lord, will you um, give us this desire to know you, to draw close to you, as individuals and as a community and not only that Lord would you um, would you draw us so close that we would know your heart as well Lord your heart for this world that Lord help us not to just focus on our needs but also recognize how much you love those that are outside of the church and will you send us as well um, in different ways to, to reach out to your people who are out there, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. Um, will you teach us what it means to be desperate, like the woman was desperate for you, Lord. And will you teach us how to draw close to you so that you draw close to us as well. So this morning, will you, um, will you just rekindle that fire, Lord? And will you help us to keep that fire burning within us? Even as we go about in our week, even as we go to work, go to school, do whatever we need to a lot, just help us to remember um, what it means to do life with you a lot in every circumstance, in every situation. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and all this we ask and we pray. In your name. Amen.